Welcome to the second episode of Texas TL in Exile. Today I'm going to talk about uh, capitalism, communism, and neo-communism. And I'm going to keep it pretty general because you don't want to get into the weeds. But you do need some historical perspective on where we're at and what we're doing so that you can see that where we're, uh, where we're at now is uh, vastly different from where it started and what worked. What worked was, and in, in one of the important things to sort of keep in mind is, the concept of capitalism really didn't exist until probably the, say, 15, 1600s, you know, so by the time that the United States broke away from Britain, I think uh, Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations came out the same year as the revolution. And it wasn't like they jumped on capitalism and said, hey, this is going to work for us. They had been pursuing capitalism in the colonies. It was a transition from what had been before that, which was a craftsman economy in the sense that what you did is what your father did and your father taught you things and if you didn't have any sons then you had to have an apprentice and you would teach them things and you'd pay them very little and if you were the son of a craftsman you would get to live in the house until a lot of them stayed in the house it, it was a very different society that we had then as as what we have now but um, so they were practicing capitalism on a limited, in a limited way for a long time in the colonies. And the idea of that was, if I'm a good craftsman, then I'm going to get jobs, I'm going to work, we're going to make money, I'm going to be able to pay my apprentice something so that they um, will continue to work. Although... <laughs> A lot of the apprentices in early America were indentured uh, servants in the sense that they brought them over here and then that bound you to that employer who, who paid to paid for your passage. Uh, it indentured, that's why when you read the 14th Amendment, it includes indentured servitude uh, because they were very much like slaves. and. I understand that the 1619 Project doesn't want to talk about this, but there are an awful lot of white basic slaves, in other words, indentured servitude servants uh, at the time that were not slaves, but none, nonetheless indentured to their, the people who paid for their passage. So Adam Smith came out with the, the book, The Wealth of Nations, and that described what was possible in the sense that an individual was a free agent and capable of finding their own value through their labor and that became a form of capital. And then you could take that capital 
and you could offer it to any number of other employers and get compensated. And if you didn't feel like you were being compensated appropriately, you could go somewhere else. Before capitalism, that didn't exist. Like I said, it was more of an indentured servitude type of thing. You worked for your dad. You learned what he did. And basically the idea of that was subsistence, just staying alive. And you did a lot of the same things for a long period of time in your community. And everybody had like a, you know, a blacksmith and a cobbler and you know, all of that. When the idea of capitalism started taking hold, and like I say, it can be practiced, but when it really started to become something distinctly different from what had been on, gone on before, it freed up the individual to recognize their own value, their own level of capital within themselves. And that's what it's based on. And yes, it gets into banking and, and, and borrowed capital and, and built capital. And if you, if you build up something, then it has some equity in it that you can borrow on and, and all of that. But essentially, the big thing, the, the, the thing that changed the world was a concept, and not just in America, but was a concept of an individual as a walking capital unit and who was a free agent enough to take that capital unit and, and, and lease it out to an employer. This was a, the beginning of capitalism and then as America proceeded it perfected that in a lot of ways. You put that up against communism which came along later um, the 1840s and 50s that looked at that and saw only the problems with it and there were some problems with it and became a challenger to it for all of the defects that it had now anything you have any no matter how valuable or, or fantastic it is it has some downsides uh, an ice cream cone has downsides it can melt on you before, you before you eat it, right? Other than that, it's great. But there are downsides to everything. And communism looked at capitalism and saw all the downsides. But that was largely because Karl Marx himself and Frederick Engels. Frederick Engels was a capitalist. His father was a capitalist. That's where all the money came from to support Karl Marx while he distilled the idea of communism down. But Karl Marx was a, a, a basically a lazy, worthless individual who wouldn't pay his rent and wouldn't and, and couldn't feed his family and they often got evicted. So he designed a system that would work for him, where just being a human being had a certain level of, of value and you would be given everything you needed you give them a place to stay, food to eat. And uh, how that deteriorated in the Soviet Union is why it was overthrown. But 
initially it looks pretty good to a guy who doesn't want to work for a living. So you have on one side America in the early stages, the revolutionary stages, where this caught on as a uh, uh, like a wildfire, and because its political system is based around freedom, theoretically, at least it was based around freedom. What it's turned into is different, but we'll get into that. So. The free movement and individual capital unit of an in, of, of a person fit perfectly with a constitutional republic that valued freedom. So they moved along pretty well. Built there was a great expansive wealth under capitalism, but it had some downsides. It, it you know relied initially on slavery to a, a degree in, in the south and the more uh, agrarian societies even in the north so you have this society that's 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 going along building wealth making people wealthy making the whole nation wealthy making the nation a powerful economic uh, uh, force in the world and the powerful ultimately a powerful military force in the world all from that basic idea that free people that are capital units in themselves and can can do what they want with their lives. They're not bound to anybody. They're not indentured. They roam freely around to to offer their labor to whoever will will pay them for it, and that's how it worked. Communism on the other side said the state ought to own everything. In other words, what Marx was saying is, the state owns me, and as a possession, they have to take care of me. And that's the state's responsibility. That doesn't look good to Americans until they're sold on the idea, which is what communism does. They were sold on the idea of magnifying the flaws, magnifying the problems with capitalism, in that it provides, it can and generally does provide. A huge disparity between the very poor and the very rich but it also provides for that middle ground and the fact that some people are very poor is not the responsibility of capitalism some of that's their own problems their own faults their own demons that they carry around with them it's not the system and the fact that some people get massively wealthy is not the benefit of capitalism. What the benefit of capitalism is that it creates a wide middle where most people are living a decent life, a progressive, progressively better life than they had before and their, their fathers had. And then you get to what I have experienced. I mean, I think it was better in you know, the 40s and 50s, realistically, but in my life, the 60s, 70s, and 80s were pretty much the pinnacle that I'd experienced of, of, of life in the sense that you could make money pretty easy, it was worth quite a bit, and you could, you had the freedom to do whatever you wanted, and if you wanted to be, you know, without a job and all that, that's fine, but those have consequences, and the consequences are you don't have any money, 
you don't have any place to live, and it, it's kind of a rough road, but it's a road that, I'm not saying everybody chose it, but an awful lot of them have chosen that by their, their refusal to work. But the great middle of that, that you can call a middle class, was a pretty special place to be. Because of the flaws, because of some of the poverty, because of the, the massive disparity between great wealth and great poverty existed, communism saw a way to work into that and to appeal to the people who felt that justice had been done to them or that their poverty was caused by this. Well, that whole idea was brought up by the communists. If you're poor or you're not rich, it's because this person kept you from being rich. That's the only way they were they were wealthy. That's not true. You know, I've uh, I run a business, and I didn't make really any more than than the people that, in fact, in some cases, <laughs> made more money than I did because I was on a, a level. And until all the money, all the equipment got paid for, and all of that money came into my account instead of paying for the equipment, I was going to be roughly where they were. It's just, just the way it is. But they would point to this person and say, you know, you really have it bad because he lives in this great place and, and he has this and he has his car and all of this. And you don't have that. So, you know, the only reason he has that is because, you know, not that I saved. Not that I, I, you know, a lot of that was a process of previous employments. They don't care about that. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about the reasoning for it. They just focus on you, right? You don't have it because he has all this. He must be getting it from you because you don't. Hmm. Now that, you see how that would stir up inflamed passions. The communist ideal of having the state own everything and take care of everybody within the state works great, except for the people who can't produce anything. Um, the mentally damaged, um, the physically damaged, the crippled, uh, who can't supply anything to the state, have no use in the state, and the state will kill them. And they've done it. If you, well, all the people who are 21 didn't grow up in the 20th century, what I would call the bloody 20th century. They've only known what has come since 2000. And since 2000, there have been no genocides on, on, on the, the scale that was produced by communism. Because if you don't fit into communism, if you're unable to produce for communism, they'll kill you. And they did in the 20th century by the bushel pole. If you disagree with them, they will kill you. And they did by the bushel pole. Or they sent them to the gulags where they generally died anyway. It's, you know, not all. Of but communism is based on force. Okay, you're going to do this. This is what you're good at. So you're going to do this. And you're going to do that for the rest of your life. You're going to put, you know, tab A into slot B for the rest of your life because that's what we need from you and that's what you're doing, regardless of what your talents or abilities might be. And sure, you know, they, 
pull a few people out that are, you know, talented singers or whatever and create some sort of an artistic aspect to it. But, you know, they're not paid any better. They're not, they're not treated any better. They're just aggrandizement for the elite. Okay. Where communism, totally state-owned, and the only ones who benefit are basically the ones in the government, and you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything there that they don't approve. And if they do things that they disapprove of, generally they'll kill you one way or the other. The only way out is to identify other people who disagree with the state and turn them over. And at some point you can ingratiate yourself enough to the state that they will make you a part of the state and those are the people who benefit from it. So the rational mind asks, at least mine does, why would this ideal society that I consider the 60s, 70s, and 80s ever be coerced to embrace communism? It just is irrational. Well, the building blocks of that began about in the 1900s. And when there were some, a lot of problems with workers working in totally unsafe conditions. And when they died, they drug them out and they got somebody who was alive to go in and start doing that job. That's a fact. And that's part of the reason for labor unions. And the idea of labor unions in a lot of ways were from a communist perspective in that the common working man will take over the world, right? That's what they sold you on, that you'll take over the world. Well, there is some fertile ground there around 1900. And the communists got a foothold through that and began inserting themselves into the institutions of America. They had some building blocks. They built on those. And what you get in 2020 is a culmination of all of that groundwork laid. You also have a betrayal of the Republic in the sense that no government is immune from the idea of taking property and freedom from the people. Now in America, the idea the Constitutional Republic and with a capitalist system was designed, you, you, you can look at it like scales. You know, it, at the beginning, the people were loaded up with freedom and the opportunity to create wealth. And slowly you started taking a little bit of that freedom and putting it in the other one. And slowly a little bit of wealth and put it into the other one. Until it until it was supposed to raise the level of freedom and wealth by sacrificing a little bit. This is, this is the ideological, ideological part of the constitutional Republican and capitalism is that the state, in order to fund things like an army and a navy and all this to keep you safer from, from invasion and, and marauding from, you know, like you think of the Vikings coming in and taking over. It was designed to do that. So you got to give up a little money, a little bit of freedom, maybe. Maybe you got to go serve in it, you know. 
Um, might get conscripted cons uh, to do that. And that's what you sacrifice so that you can live the rest of your life after you've done your service in, in more freedom. You give up a little bit of wealth to pay for, you know, the police so that people don't steal all the stuff that you've accumulated. They don't beat you up. They don't maraud. You don't break into your house. So you give up a little bit of wealth for that. Maybe you become a, a police officer so that you can you can do that and 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 you know make, live make a living out of it too. But every government is incapable of restraint. It just is. Whatever works a little bit is going to they're going to push it and they're going to get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until those scales get out of balance again and that's where we're at. Communism helped that along. But the one big flaw of communism is they own all of the, they own the means of production. And the means of production are guided by the people in charge of the government. These are the last people on earth who can understand <laughs> industrial efficiency. Right? They understand force, they understand compliance, and that's just about it. So if they want, and, and it was one of the stories, I think, from um, from Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago, I believe, where he discovered, discussed the issue of wrecking. So if the head of the government decided that they needed 40,000 tractor tires from this, in, from this factory, but if it was running at peak efficiency, it could maybe make 20,000 tractor tires. But they needed 40,000. They don't care how many you can make. They needed 40,000, and that's what you're tasked with doing. If you couldn't make 40,000 tires, they called it wrecking, and they sent you to the gulag. That's the flaw in communism. There's no give up. There's no backtrack. There's no, oh, maybe we were wrong. And that's what you see a lot in our government today. <laughs> Well, what the communists figured out through all of that is that instead of taking it over and making it massively uh, inefficient and incapable of innovation, because if you didn't want to do what they told you, you were, you, your life was in danger. Um, even if you thought you had a better idea, then that was countermanding that, the order, right? You're not there to think up new things. You're there to do what you're told. So... The rational mind doesn't understand why you would take America and want to make it communist. In order to appeal to that, the communists recognize that they don't really have to control the means of production. I mean, control it, yes, but own it, no. So if they could just impose a regulatory state on top of, say, the Constitutional Republic, where the government had regulations on everything that took place. That's what neo-communism is. It's still the state deciding and, and, and making decisions and, and, and providing grants to certain companies and corporations and not others. It's the way that it was so ingrained in our system by 2020 that they could arrest some, a, a hairdresser in Dallas for keeping her shop open during this pandemic the pandemic of the flu, basically, that, that even some of our, our some of the 
the business people and, and leaders in America are starting to recognize is, is a, a ridiculous thing to have ever done. But by 2020, this communist philosophy, this communist uh, extra layer over the constitutional Republican capitalism was able to insert itself, arrest a hairdresser in Dallas for trying to keep her shop open so that she didn't become homeless herself at the hands of the government. You see how that became possible? Whereas that would never have been possible without that that layer of communism over it? Okay, well, we're at a point now, and, and there's some talk of it being a lot more serious, and I'm, we're going to get into that at some other time, but we're at a point now where, where this has taken place to the degree that we are no longer what we were. And if we are ever going to get back to the pinnacle of societal uh, accomplishment, we're going to have to dump a bunch of this communist, this neo-communist overlaying our country. And this is one of the things that needs to be um, uh, pointed out wherever you can. And I appreciate it if, if you do you know, take the social media and, and point out the fact that, you know, this, this neo-communist layer over our system is what's causing the problems now. Because in a constitutional republic like we have, there's such a thing as the Ninth Amendment. And even if it's not enumerated, the, the, the text of, uh, of the Ninth Amendment is the enumeration of certain rights in the Constitution does not deny or disparage others retained by the people or the state. If you push the Ninth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment is what keeps them from being able to shut your shop. And they were able to do that. Think about this. They were able to do that and still justify. And, and the communists love hypocrisy because it drives a, the, the logical mind mad. They were able to shut down the little hairdresser in Dallas, put her out of her home, kill her business, whatever, and still justify leaving the big box stores open. You know? You can't do this, but that can happen. See, that's that's where the Ninth Amendment should have come in and said, look, I have a right to have this. Even though it's not enumerated, I have a right to have business and to keep it open as long as I want to. Now, if I don't have any customers, that's one thing. But if you shut me down as a government, that's illegal. That's unconstitutional. It couldn't happen. But because of what some will call the administrative state, which is basically a neo-communist layer over our thing. We've got to start backing away from that. And the only way to back away from that is to start looking at what the government does and start working to abolish it. To get back to a sense of freedom. To get back to a sense of capitalism. Where you were free to go and, I mean, think of this, and this even sounds excessive today, but it never should have. There was a time in America where if you owned a piece of property that had a lot of trees on it, you could just go cut those trees down, load them on a truck, take them to somebody, have him pay you for it, and the government wouldn't be involved in any way, shape, or form of that. And that's where it flourished. That's where it built the great wealth. 
And since we've gotten away from that, we are down now into, uh, we have about $30 trillion worth of debt. If it isn't now, it will be soon because we're stacking $1.5 trillion worth of debt onto our own backs, the children, our children's backs, every year, no matter what we do. That's not the cause of a, of a big spending bill. That's what it is today. And every trillion you lay on your on your children and your grandchildren's back is nothing other than indentured servitude. So this is all wrong. It's all wrong in every way, shape, and form. But we have to start somewhere. And that somewhere is by getting rid of some of these regulations and getting rid of some of these this overlaying neo-communist functionaries that exist in, in, in our system today. Well, I've gone on about as long as I can, and I think I made that about as clear as I can without running down a blind alley that I do on a lot of these attempts before you get to see the real thing. So thank you for staying with me, and I hope to see you next time. Episode 3 coming up. Hey, I do have one thing that I can announce is that I'm going to start having guests on here, and... Um, and I think you'll really enjoy the interplay in a lot of ways. It'll be a lot more entertaining than watching me sit here and, and pontificate. So uh, look forward to that in the, in the coming episodes. See you. Oh, I'm supposed to be better than it. Adios.